There we go. We are back again for another brand new episode of the Beautiful Mind Game with myself, Hams, and Millie Chandarana, the mad mentor, Blackburn Rovers footballer. Millie, it's good to see you again. It's just been great to get back up and running onto this podcast um, podcast wheel, I would say, because it's been really fun to learn about different people from different backgrounds. And I really like this new way that we're going into it. And I'm really looking forward to talking to our guest today as well. So Millie, how are you doing, first of all? And how are you looking forward to our next set coming up? Yeah, I'm fine. Thanks, Hams. Um, like I said, it's great to be back. Um, I don't think we've stopped talking in the past week, have we? I think we're just <laughs> carrying on all the time. Forever um, busy. Yeah. Our next guest is someone very special and someone actually um, who I'm dying to speak to. Um, and I just want to know more very fruitful things about him. <laughs> I, like, I like the term you use there, fruitful things, you know. <laughs> go that... on, tell us who it is, tell us. No, I was just going to, before we were going to introduce our guest, I was going to talk about how we, we are going to talk about your, your juicer. We are going to talk about the fruits that you have as well. And we are going to talk about everything we've spoken about previously about nutrition, because we had a conversation about that previously on a previous podcast. So to get someone else in to talk to us about performance, nutrition, and optimizing your athletic potential as well, we have Dan Richardson of Durham University and DNR Nutrition. So Dan, thank you very much for joining the podcast. Hopefully the intro wasn't too big headed, but I thought, you know what, when we have our <laughs> guests on, we have to promote them as much as possible because you're doing really good things out there. So thank you for joining us for the podcast today. Thank How you. are you doing? I'm brilliant. Thank you. Thank you very much uh, to yourself and Millie for having me on. Um, I'm really looking forward to talking about a lot of fruitful things, as you said, Millie, um, yeah. and discussing around all things nutrition um, and hopefully, um, you know, the people and the listeners can go away with a few tips themselves with some nutrition stuff that we discussed today. Definitely. Um, for first things first, I don't want to leave this to last. Normally we leave like our, our like favorite things to last. But for me personally, what I really love with you is when you're working with the England team in 2019. So when you're actually working with them, I think you went to Malaysia, didn't you? And it's just the fact that you got to yeah, work so, with them. Yeah, yeah with the England touch team. Mm. Yes, we spent, um, I work with them. Uh, still uh, currently at this moment um, as their head of nutrition now. So I was their performance nutritionist back then um, and now I lead the team of nutritionists at England Touch. So I look after all of the nutrition programs um, across, I think it's around 270 players. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a team of five of us nutrition team, uh, me leading it and then a few of us underneath just helping out with the nutrition. But yeah, we went over to Malaysia and we delivered all of the nutrition uh, for the players out there, which was very different um compared to obviously working over in the uk and how did you find that when you had to work abroad for the um for in malaysia in a different country different continent different that's cuisine cool. entirely as well how did yeah, you find well, that? that's what i was gonna say the, the main thing was the different cuisines that was out there um so actually finding food sources that were you know appropriate to the players tastes um and not just the nutritional values was uh, a challenge in itself um i think it was difficult as well in terms of like translating um, certain products and foods um, and checking out the food labels were uh, labeled up a little different to what the UK government over here do. Uh, so it was kind of a learning experience, um, but it was something that, you know, I massively valued as a nutritionist and have taken it on into other roles that I've done, such as um, doing the pre-season with Warrington Wolves when we went out to Portugal. Found that one a lot easier um, as it wasn't my first time doing that that, that time round. So um, yeah. I think, yeah, it was certainly... Um, a learning curve, but I've learned a lot of experiences from that and then taken them into my current roles and previous roles that I've had from there. Brilliant. That's fantastic to hear. Because with me personally, when you see a lot of uh, footballers, uh, rugby players, cricket players, they all have a lot of 
time to learn about nutrition and some of them have their own nutritionists as well. So is that something that you're taking part of now with some of the athletes that you've worked with or working with as well? Is that something that you tend to have a hands-on approach to um, developing their nutrition going forward as well? Yeah, so I think for me, it started when I was playing rugby. So um, I played rugby from like the age of 10 years old, uh, found it at primary school and went all the way through um, kind of university playing, played whilst I was at Durham Uni. Um, what and position then, did you play? Uh, I was rugby league and I played hooker. So oh, I was okay. right, in the, right in the thick of things. The small lad in the middle that had to tackle the big props, essentially. Um, and when you see rugby league played, um, I know you're from down south, Millie might be more familiar with uh, rugby league, but uh, essentially the hooker is the one that when the ball gets rolled past the back of the legs, they choose which pass uh, to take. And then also in the defensive lineup, they line up right in the middle. So they're the ones that end up having all the big props um, trampling over the top of them. So I found from a young age that I needed to, you know, gain size, strength and stature. Um, and that led me to kind of working out in the gym a little bit more frequently and finding that passion for, um, you know, nutrition and fitness. Um, I must admit when I, you know, from the ages of, let's say, 14 through to 18, my nutrition practices probably weren't as fine tuned as what they would be now if I was to have that knowledge that I've gained and accrued over the time of working as a nutritionist. Um, but it was certainly that early interest that then sparked me on to work in that one to one environment with athletes. Um, and then from there, obviously went on and worked with a few teams um, and then worked as a performance nutritionist looking after team nutrition. And then now I specialize more um, in that one-to-one approach with um, the clients that I have. Yeah, that's fantastic to hear. And it just makes it so much easier when it's someone who actually was an athlete can actually teach all of these other people as well because you've got that foot in the door and actually being an athlete as well. For the record, I played as a flanker, as a number seven um, in, in secondary school. I wasn't that great, but I just enjoyed watching rugby more than actually playing rugby to be fair as well I still have a rugby ball and like one of those kickers in my garden at my parents home so I do like to just kick the rugby ball and then around the park but I'm not I'm not in that physical contact mode I'm like it's too it's too it's too much for me to just get tackled every now and then I can't be bothered with that (laughs) no I I was the same I think once I finished university and realized I actually had to work for a living um, Mm. and keep the body fit and fresh I realized that um, you know, doing rugby like kind of as a as a hobby wasn't the safest of hobbies. So I commend the people out there that still play rugby. Really, uh, really take my hats off to them, the people that still play rugby and uh, you know um, and have full time jobs at the same time because I can't be getting out of bed on a on a Monday morning after a Sunday fixture aching and hobbling into a club to go and work with an athlete. So I hung my boots up after university. So I must admit I don't play anymore, but certainly still follow uh, rugby uh, union and league don't worry I'm creaking after like 60 minutes of football so I'm like creaking wherever so whatever I can gain from this person in terms of nutrition I'll be loving it because I can take it forward by myself as well um, but Amelia I think you had a couple of questions and I, I know for a fact you'll be learning a lot more um, from a personal trainer's point of view as well Amelia so that would be quite fun to hear you two talk about it whilst I learn about it from the both of you as well so Amelia what do we have to ask Dan for, from your point of view definitely first of all I just want to ask you a little bit more about the team the team sport, what is the difference between working with an individual and working in a team sport? Because like you've got, I don't know, you've got so many athletes to deal with. How different actually is it? Do you, I don't know, individualize the programs? Do you keep it like generalized? What do you do? So uh, individual athletes is probably the easiest one because obviously you've just got that one-to-one connection with the athlete. Um, just really easy to kind of not only help them with the nutrition, but get to know them more on a personal level. And I think that was something I really enjoy when I'm uh, working with one-to-one athletes is I build that deeper connection, which allows me to kind of work, you know, more intrinsically with them 
um, and look deeper into their nutrition. But good point about the team sport. And I think it's still a, uh, a question that us nutritionists are trying to perfect and optimize where possible. But the ways I kind of go about it is specifically when it comes to um, team sport is start, you know, really basic with the education. Um, so get everybody up to scratch with that base level education of nutrition, ensuring they understand what they're eating and why they're eating it, I think is the number one thing that I go towards trying to do and making sure that they, um, you know, were able to self-sustain their nutrition without me having to be there at all times. Because like you say, sometimes I can be working with, you know, 30 plus athletes um, in a first team um, and you know that you're not going to be able to get around all of them within a week or even within a month. Um, so actually it's making sure that they're able to look after themselves. And then what I normally do when I'm in a team um, is I get everybody to fill out a food diary. Um, that gives me a little bit more understanding of what kind of foods they're currently in without any guidance. Also allows me a little bit to see who's who's kind of the, the outliers that are really good with their nutrition already that don't necessarily need my support too much. And then the other ones that, you know, you can see that they're not, they're kind of struggling um, with getting the right foods and fuels in. And that's the people that I tend to focus on first. Um, so kind of trying to bring everybody up to that same speed um, by just focusing on the ones that need the help. And quite often they're not, you know, the guys, the senior guys in teams tend to be really good with their nutrition. They've got their plans set out and it's the occasional question that you might get from them around supplementation or, um, you know, something along the lines of that. Whereas it's the younger boys that might not have necessarily had that support, um, you know, for that long period of time, um, that actually that's what they need the help and the focus on most is actually building those habits. Um, so, yeah, so one-to-one consultations can be hard when it comes to like team sport nutrition, because obviously you've got a huge team, but it's all about managing your time correctly and making sure that, you know, as horrible as it sounds, if one of the senior players is brilliant with his nutrition, it's not worth my time spending, you know, an hour to two hours a day speaking to him about his nutrition. Whereas, you know, one of the younger lads who, yeah, he might not be playing first team and he might be in the reserve squad. If we can get him to a point where his nutrition's good, by the time he transitions over to that first team, he's going to need a lot less attention than what, you know, potentially would do if he was neglected around that area. So I think, yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty much, pretty much it in a nutshell of how to manage team sport nutrition. Yeah, it's brilliant that. It's, honestly, it's really good. And I guess it's so important for every team to have someone there to yeah. a nutritionist there because some teams I don't like to say it, but some teams don't still don't have nutritionists yeah. in their club but it is so important because it's it's the pinnacle of what you do it's the pinnacle of how you perform optimally right yeah um and go on I was gonna say I think the the problem at the moment is I think it's still considered and I, I've heard it this phrase thrown around quite a bit by some nutritionists but it is considered the cherry on the top um, and it's not yeah. considered those base layers of a cake, for example. So, you know, you've got the rest of your performance team, you know, your physios, your rehabs, you know, uh, SNCs, your head of performance, your, you know, your sports scientist. But I think psychology and nutrition fall under a similar bracket where they're not an essential. Um, they're actually, you know, more of a luxury in a club. Uh, whereas I think, you know, I, I certainly campaign myself as a nutritionist that they should be an essential part of that multidisciplinary team um, that's, that's behind it. And I think a lot of the bigger clubs are now starting to recognise that, which is good. And hopefully the smaller clubs will follow suit. And not only will they have an S&C coach that knows a bit of nutrition, um, but they'll have an S&C coach and a nutritionist at the same time. You shouldn't, have, you shouldn't have used cake as an analogy there. The worst, <laughs> the worst, worst one you can use. Um, but just to break it down a bit before we carry on, just so you can break down how you became a nutritionist, what does S&C mean? And just for like our everyday listener, why is a nutritionist so important to sport? Because 
I know, Millie knows a lot more why nutrition is literally the pinnacle of why people do so well. It's why players play um, a long period of time in their careers in any sport. It's why people recover from injuries so well as well. But just so you can break it down for everyone listening, why is, being a, why is being a nutritionist so important? How did you become a nutritionist? And realistically, why should it be a lot more important than what it actually is? Yeah. So a nutritionist, essentially, well, more specifically, a sports nutritionist. So you've got an array of different types of people that work within nutrition. Mm. Um, so you have you know, your sports nutritionists, your health nutritionists, and then we can go over to the medical side and look at kind of, um, you know, sports nutrition doctors that have got doctors in there. Or you can look at like dietitians, for example, um, that work normally within the NHS and the healthcare system. Um, but a nutritionist or a sports nutritionist at that is essentially somebody that will look at a player's um, current food intake and um, fluid intake and will essentially look towards optimising that um, through, you know, different means and methods, um, the, you know, backed by the research as well and backed by the science. So there's a lot of research and science out there about, you know, certain foods um, and certain types of foods that are going to help somebody perform better in sport. And it's our job as nutritionists to essentially look at what's currently going on within a player's nutrition and then turn it into something that's, you know, really going to help them push on and become a better player. And I think um, when it comes to nutrition, I like to use the analogy of imagine all sports players are, let's say, Ferrari cars. Um, and without, you know, the fuel or the petrol that goes into those cars, they're not going to be able to move optimally. Um, so it's important, not only do we put fuel in the body, um, but it's also important that we put the right kind of fuel in the body to make sure that they optimally performs at its best. Um, in terms of how I became a nutritionist, um, I essentially studied sports science to begin with at Durham University. So um, I learned all the disciplines of sport and the science behind it. Um, so that includes like your strength and conditioning. Um, it includes your sports psychology. Sports nutrition was, of course, in there. Um, we also learned a little bit around like um, health professions and things like that um, and kind of the health side of exercise um, and exercise referral. Um, learned a little bit around physio as well and sports rehabilitation, so sport injuries and things like that. And then from there, I really found that during my undergraduate degree at Durham that my, um, you know, my actual passion was in nutrition. Um, mm. So the only way to really go around becoming a nutritionist off the back of that is to go and study nutrition um, as a master's level student. So I went to Manchester Metropolitan and I went and studied my uh, sports nutrition master's degree, uh, which essentially is what I learned in my sports science um, in the singular module, uh, but amplified by a thousand. So learning all the new research trends, um, how nutrition actually works on a molecular level, how it works physiologically, and also how to then transcribe it back to players as well, which I think is really important as a nutritionist is, you know, we'll go away and read all of the science and the research and we then have to put it into layman terms to the uh, athletes to ensure that they understand why we're performing certain practices and why we're getting them to, um, you know, eat certain foods at certain times of the day, for example. That's just crazy. It's honestly crazy how much work you put into it and how much work you've actually put into it from university as well. Because I'm just kind of there thinking like, with nutritionists um, nowadays, everyone has access to the internet, access to YouTube videos and reels and all of that on social media. But the actual detail you put into your work, like I've seen previously for quite a while now since we've been following you on social media, it's just the fact that you're doing it with different variety of athletes. So it's not just one diet fits all. It's the fact that you have to deal with hockey players, with rugby players. Then you had an American football player on there once, cricket players as well. Yeah. It's crazy that you have to then deal with that kind of... Um, 
that sing- that singularity in terms of how you have to actually develop your mindset for how is this hockey player going to recover better than a yeah. cricket player does because hockey may be a bit more intense over a shorter period of time than as a cricket player who if they're playing a three-day test match or something like that they could be in the field for one day they could be in the sheds for one day waiting to bat and they don't need to recover as quick or as soon as a highly intense sport like hockey as well so I found that quite fascinating in terms of the fact that you're not just going for one singular type of sport like rugby, you're going into all different types. And I think it's a very brave decision from yourself. Um, but realistically speaking, Millie, how can you how can you kind of take away from this as well? Because I'm flabbergasted by this and, he, and Dan put it in such good ways as well, but I'm just I'm just I'm just blown away. Because <laughs> I, no, I, I, I definitely shouldn't have had that KFC yesterday because I'm I just feeling <laughs> about myself now as well. Um but no, Millie, I just Same wanted to point. know a bit more from your point of view. How do you think you could take something away for your own per- um, personal performance as well for next season? Um, I think, said. you know what? There's so much that goes into the nutrition side of things. Like, it's unbelievable. The science behind it is insane. I did sports science as well, but always in nutrition, it was all science, yeah. all of it. And there's so much to know. There's so much to understand. There's so many different molecules to understand how does so how does an athlete how do you make an athlete understand this first of all tell us what is the optimal diet for an athlete and how do you make the athlete understand that optimal diet i think so you I think, just separated that into like sorry to interrupt i think it's like don't doesn't, doesn't every athlete have a different type of diet because of what they're doing and how they're outputting their energy and stuff like that as well yeah, yeah. you're right yeah i, I was going to say i think an optimal diet for a for an athlete is very difficult to give, you know, a, a one size fits all answer. And I think that's probably the, the hardest thing about nutrition is, you know, multiple times I've given talks or I've gone to, um, you know, events where they've said, right, well, what do I need to be eating optimally? And it's like, well, until I know your energy output and your energy demands of each training session, um, yeah. and, you know, what you get up to in the day, um, it's quite hard to actually put together, you know, a, a one size fits all, like we say. However, there is certain practices that we can look at um, utilizing so for example we know in the science that carbohydrates and fats give us energy for exercise if our exercise is going to be over 90 minutes the likelihood is we're going to utilize dietary fats um, after that 90 minute mark as our energy and resources for fuel whereas prior to that we're going to be more carbohydrate based in our energy levels and what we need to be uh, utilizing um, in our exercise and then on the flip side you've got protein so protein doesn't provide the body with any energy but what it does do is it helps to recover the muscles and stimulate muscle protein synthesis, which is essentially the muscles regrowing and repairing, um, getting stronger and fitter, for example. So we know we need that at least um, you know, after exercise to help that recovery. But again, looking back at the science and things like that and the, and the athletes, I think one of the things I struggle with isn't necessarily translating the information um, that's given in the research over to players, because nowadays a lot of the research is kind of very, very specific to certain topics. For example, mm-hmm. I was involved in a study um, a few weeks back at the university where we were looking at um, rowing in an immersive environment. So we're on a static rowing machine and we had kind of like 3D cameras all around. I know you're going to have to visualize it and picture it here, but it was like 3D cameras all around. And then essentially um, we were given a specific supplement, which we didn't know what it was, but we knew it was carbohydrate related. And we had to see whether our performance improved from the carbohydrates or whether it improved from the fact that we had an immersive trial going on around us. So imagine like a VR headset. I saw yeah. that. I, I, yeah. I, saw, I saw that. It's so good. <laughs> 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 so fun. 
Um, so it's like a, it's called the cave, which uh, sounds amazing. But essentially, nice. the research the research like that, which is hard to then pass over to the players. But I do think you know quite often or not, our battle as nutritionists is social media. Um, you know, I try my best when I'm on social media to give the most honest and accurate information based on the research. But quite often or not, I see and I stumble across quite a lot of, of you know um, miss. Um, information that's given out to athletes um, quite often or not. And I think, you know, I've had it a lot with my athletes where they'll send me a news article. Um, prime example, this morning, one of my rugby players, I won't name him, sent me an article that had been published a few days ago saying that uh, fruit causes belly fat. And I just kind of read it. And when you read through it, it you know, it's backed by a doctor and the science is because of the, um, the fructose in the fruit and all of this. And yes, the science probably adds up, but actually looking at it on a level that, the people that he looked at and researched on didn't exercise. So it's not relatable to an athlete and it's trying to then depict that back to them when they've said, well, you're a nutritionist, but this doctor's saying this. And, you know, it's trying to kind of always win that battle against, um, you know, the, the myths and the fads that are out there for, for players to read up on. Um, and I think quite often that comes when it comes to supplementation. Everybody wants to believe that supplements, you know, work and they're the best thing ever, but unless you've got your diet fixed up and you've got your nutrition plan and habits all set in place supplements won't add anything to that unless everything else is completely perfect along the way um, and that takes me back to that um you know the protein like i was saying about the muscle recovery quite often or not people believe you need to have protein within half an hour of finishing exercise i'm sure millie you've heard that numerous of times from coaches mm-hmm. protein in when actual fact the research just suggests as long as you get four to five equal hits of protein across the day we don't actually need to worry about the protein window, as it's called. If you were to have no protein until the following morning after training, you're still going to get just as good recovery, just the recovery will be slightly delayed. But what's happened is the research has been turned on its head because it sounds like more exciting if I say to you, oh, if you don't have protein, your muscles are going to suffer. You then panic and you have the protein within that half an hour window. And I think that's what happens is more often than not, the science is right, but it gets skewed so that athletes believe it more. Whereas, you know, it's more about, you know, busting the myths, to, so to speak, and helping athletes actually improve and understand the science behind what, um, you know, we're actually looking at, as opposed to just trying to give them um, kind of, you know, fictional answers to questions that they might have. So if you could bust five myths for us now that we've heard, because I had a rumour that KFC is good for the soul, so that's why I had it yesterday. <laughs> well. so if, you, if, you could, if you could do that for us now, and I think our listeners will appreciate that as well, in terms of, for example, too many carbs is bad or this is not yeah, great. Yeah. Or if you could just name like five ones that... All right, let's, let's, let's go for them. So we'll do the protein window first. Obviously, the protein window is... It's not a myth. We do need protein after exercise. That's a fact. We do need to recover. But what it is, there's no such thing as an anabolic window, which if you go and type that in, there'll still be articles on it that are getting published today mm-hmm. um, in blogs about you need to have protein within half an hour of exercise. It's not true. What you do need to focus on, though, is hitting the protein intake and your daily protein intake across the day in equal hits. Um, so if you weren't to be getting enough protein in, then certainly um, the protein window would become an issue, but it's not. I think the second one um, is creatine. So a very common supplement in performance athletes that are looking to get bigger. Creatine is one of the safest supplements out on the market and it's probably one of the most effective. All the research points towards the safeness and the effectiveness of creatine. However, for some reason, um, because it grows and helps the development of muscles, 
it's some people have thrown it in that steroid category. So creatine is not a steroid. It's a safe supplement to use. It's the same as using whey protein powder. It's naturally sourced in foods. It's just the body can't get enough to supply the muscles to get the benefits of muscular growth um, and also strength that we get from creatine. Um, so then that leads me on to myth number three, which I think I covered on my Instagram the other day. Um, and it was actually interesting to see I did a true or false and there was a lot of people that said it was true where it is false that um, creatine can cause kidney damage. So there's been articles wrote up about this because creatine has been considered a steroid, quote unquote, because it's certainly not. People then associate that with the negative impacts of steroids, such as kidney damage, et cetera, et cetera, all the rest that comes of it. So there's now a preconceived idea that too much creatine supplementation over a long period of time can cause you know, kidney problems, kidney damage, which is not true at all. Um, there's been studies where I think people have taken triple the amount of recommended dose or even quadruple. I think it was 20 grams a day as opposed to the five grams a day over a five-year study and found no negative effects to their health um, from taking creatine. So actually, you know, the safeness of that supplement is huge. I think that was myth number three. Did we go through that? Yeah. Uh, that's it. Let's think of two more. Quick fire. Uh, another one is probably that fasting is better for losing weight than, um, you know, just having a calorie restricted diet. It's not true. The only and, way. Uh, yeah, it definitely isn't true. It definitely isn't true. I can agree <laughs> with that 100%. Everyone's so, going on to me about, oh, yeah, Hamza, isn't fasting about letting go of like food and stuff? Like that? Not really, because then you have to then build up your, your, your stomach for the, rest of the, for the rest of the day. If you haven't eaten for 13, 14 hours in a day or drank for 13, 14 hours in a day, you need to replenish that somehow as well. And for eating it in a 15-minute to an hour window before you then stop eating because you're too full, you're then just kind of there like, oh, no, now I'm full and I'm feeling sick. And then you have to go yeah. back to the whole process again and again and again. And this is to do with just like normal fasting. So intermittent fasting, I'm yeah. sure you will know more about as well, Dan. Yeah, so I think that one of the biggest myths is that people think that fasting will help you lose weight quicker uh, because you're limiting the amount of time that you can intake food. Whereas that is somewhat true, it's still a myth. The only way we actually lose weight is by looking at what our energy output is and what our energy intake is. And what we need is, imagine this is balanced, which is perfect for any athlete that wants to stay how they are. If we want to look to increase our weight, we want our intake of food to be slightly higher than our um, our output of what we of what we get you know, from exercise. Whereas the other way around would be our intake needs to be lower, our output needs to be higher, when it comes to looking at, um, you know, losing weight or losing body fat or whatever it might be that the athlete's looking towards losing. Um, and I think quite often or not, people say, well, fasting is a great way of losing weight. It's not the fasting that causes the losing of the weight. It's the calorie restriction based on the fact that you haven't got as many hours in the day to eat. Um, you know, if you're saying, right, for eight hours, I'm going to do an intermittent fast for eight hours. I'm going to sleep for eight hours. And then I've got an eight hour window to eat. It stops you snacking late in the evening. It stops you, you know, having chocolate throughout the day or whatever it might be um, and it kind of gives you laser focus on a calorie restricted diet um, but it's no better than just splitting those foods out across the day and I think that's probably the biggest myth out there is that you know the only way to actually lose weight um, whether you're an athlete or not is just calorie restriction you know exercise more eat less is pretty much it and I think I one more myth was that four? yeah so that was four so I'm like if that's the biggest one I would, it was, I'll say I've got to I've got to follow it up with something even better now <laughs> um, I think something. I think generally speaking, I think um, probably a big myth is all athletes eat perfect 100% of the time. You know, mm. like your, your likes of, you know, your big, big name players, like your Ronaldo, your Foden, your whoever you want to name, 
that they eat every single day perfectly is not true. Um, I've worked with athletes for what it'd be like coming up to six years now. And I can tell you now they don't follow a hundred percent of the time, a perfect diet because it's not balanced and it's not actually accurate or representative of their performance if they were to do that. So quite often I get a lot of my athletes using something called an 80, 20 rule, which is well known within sport. Um, I think I've covered it a few times across my Instagram. Um, and especially I cover it in talks and educational talks, which is 80% of the time you want to be eating the best quality foods possible that will promote, you know, the best performance, um, from your sport. And then the 20% of the time is your enjoyment. So your fun foods, as we call it in nutrition, not your bad foods, because no food's bad in moderation, um, but essentially your fun foods. So like, you know, across the day, we're looking as a singular day, 80% of those foods need to be those optimally performance foods. So you can't your fats, your proteins that are all healthy sources of those foods that are going to really push you on in your sport. And then 20% of the time, you can have those moments of joy across the day. Um, and I think it's important to remember that most athletes follow this kind of system. Whereas a lot of people think, you know, if you want to be like Ronaldo, you have to eat perfect hundred percent of the time. Whereas he will go out and enjoy a meal with his family. I'm sure he will partake in having a chocolate bar with his kids, you know, because he's a human. Just definitely not Coca-Cola. He does drink Coca-Cola. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Apart from that, of course. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's probably myth number five is that athletes don't eat perfect hundred percent of the time. They do enjoy foods as well as, you know, making sure they have the right fuel for performance. Definitely. Just, just to make that a little bit more specific, Dan, yeah. so 20%, what would that look like? What would the actual foods look like and when in the day? Yeah, so it, it depends on obviously the uh, the athlete's taste. Uh, but I'll give you a prime example. So, for example, you know, it depends on what you want to be looking towards having. But let's say a standard day, if I was to have, I don't know, oats in the morning. Now, the best thing with oats would be, if we're going to say the best kind of sugary parts of the oats that we could have would be to put some like frozen berries in there um, and maybe some honey. But actually, you know, a spoon of chocolate spread or sticking, you know, a fun size milky bar into your baked oats in the morning isn't, you know, that's your 20% in your breakfast, for example, or having full fat milk with your, your coffee as opposed to trying to have like skimmed milk or whatever it might be. Um, you know, things like that. When it comes to lunch, you know, I know a lot of athletes like, um, you know, like chocolate coated raisins for energy um, or chocolate coated nuts. So things like that is kind of that little 20% um, kicker. Or like, I know one of the athletes I work with after his evening meal every evening, they have like a big portion of pasta because he swims early in the morning. So he'll have his big bowl of pasta, but then he'll follow that up with some gingerbread and custard um, or apple crumble and custard, for example. Um, so I think it's one of those where, um, you know, looking towards... Um, different types of foods that you enjoy uh, so I've got a question for you there Millie what would you say your 20% foods are what is a an, an unhealthy or fun food that you couldn't live without <laughs> you know what this is something that I actually struggle with I love my <laughs> sweet stuff so I was honestly I was really into that into that myth just then I'm, I'm really happy That's with it, it. <laughs> honestly I do struggle with like chocolates and I get little like sweet cravings and even if it's just a little bit I have to have something each day, I would say, really. That's, that's um, normal. And I imagine if you, if I was to say to you as your nutritionist, let's say, like, we need to cut that out, A, you'd hate me, and B, it wouldn't work because you wouldn't actually be happy in the foods that you're consuming. So, probably. You know, like you, yeah, like you said, having those little bits, little and often across the day, is going to keep you happy and keep you performing better because mentally yeah. you're going to be much better at, um, you know, taking part in the sport that you're taking part in. Definitely. You just have to know when to stop, right? That's it. That's, that's the key is it, making sure it's only 20% and it doesn't leak over a little bit more than that 
Um, and that's something that athletes do actually struggle with quite often. And I find the, you know, I've, I've always said, and I'll always say it, that I need to study more around um, nutrition psychology um, of actually, you know, what makes people tick to eat a full bag of chocolate. Um, I'm not necessarily a, a psychologist at all myself I've got no qualifications in that area uh, but I'm finding my own techniques as I'm working with athletes of how to get them to do it properly such as portion controlling um, you know only packing the amount let's say they've got a pack of digestives uh, but they're only going to have four in the day putting four in the Tupperware and taking that to training as opposed to taking the full pack because then they're more likely to eat the full pack so I think it's it's that that side of it that certainly athletes struggle with is um, the psychology yeah. around food which is something I'm nowhere near qualified to talk about but I think it's something that certainly needs addressing. And that's where, you know, your psychologist comes in in the club and they work closely with the nutritionist to um, find ways around that. Yeah, I think something I struggle with throughout the season, it kind of dips up and down throughout the season. Something I struggle with is not eating enough. Yeah. There's, there's times throughout the season where I'm just not eating enough compared to how much exercise and training I'm actually doing. And at those times I feel so tired. I feel just yeah. really groggy. How do you kind of help that? I think pre preparation is number one. Um, yeah. So you know you're going to be out for the whole day. Plan your foods the day before. Plan your calories that you're going to consume and when you're going to consume them. Even if it means taking a full bag of Tupperware to training, listed breakfast, 9 a.m. or whatever it might be, and you know that at that time you've got to eat that specific food, even if you're not feeling hungry. Because quite often after exercise, we can feel full. Although we're not, we actually need to refuel as soon as possible. And yeah. then another way around that is, you know, quite often athletes especially will overface themselves with huge meals at once, whereas we can actually split that out across the day. So, you know, if you didn't like a big breakfast in the morning, um, there's a way of, you know, going around that nice and easily, which would be first thing in the morning, have a small breakfast. And then after training, let's say you've got an early training session, have a second breakfast that's, you know, of equal size that would equal that big breakfast that you would have had prior to training. Um, so I think, yeah, preparation and then also just breaking down the meals instead of having three big meals, have, you know, six smaller meals interspersed with some small snacks. Yeah, no, brilliant. Um, and a little bit following on from like the refueling, you've mentioned that quite a lot. What is the best way to refuel? What are the best foods to recover with? So you want to be looking towards having a good source of carbohydrates and protein. So okay, cool. it's more, when, when we're looking at refuel, we're looking at recovering, repairing and, re, and refueling at the same time. But not only that, we also want to look to rehydrate. So quite often we talk about the three R's in um, sports nutrition, which is obviously repair, recover, re, um, rehydrate. Um, and essentially what you want to do is look towards the best quality sources. So that would be a new 80% bracket there um, because you want to have a split of around two to one um, ratio of carbs to protein. So you want double the amount of carbs of what you would protein. And the reason behind that, probably one of the myths I should have mentioned, is that the body can only absorb around 20 to 30 grams of protein for muscle recovery um, in one hit. Hence why we split it as nutritionists between five or six hits across the day. Um, so just so we can pop that in layman terms, Dan, how does that look like to a normal person? So instead of just for like an athlete's point of view, even just for someone who's into sport, for like a teacher or someone who's like an accountant who's working eight hours a yeah. day, in an office type of thing. What does that 20 kind of grams look like in terms of protein, would it look like in terms of like a bag of nuts or chicken with rice, that type of thing? How would it kind of work just so yeah. um, it's from a different point of view as well? Yeah, so, you know, you're looking probably around, you know, let's say we're looking at chicken, a chicken breast would be um, more than sufficient enough. And yeah. if you imagine the size of a chicken breast, now imagine that with any 
any other meets is probably going to be about equal to. So I would say, even though even though we're talking in like, you know, let's say you're going to have mints, we'd say, I'd say like the size of a chicken breast as mints would give you the same amount of um, protein for recovery. And mm-hmm. um, when it comes to kind of, if you're looking at like supplements and protein shakes, you'll often find that they'll have enough in there to um, give you enough recovery. So I've seen a lot of athletes in the past, they'll double scoop their protein, um, meaning that they'll have two scoops of protein powder thinking they're getting more bang for the buck because they're getting more protein per serving. Whereas actually the reason the serving is only 20 grams is because the science actually suggests that you only need 20 grams of protein. So okay. I think something to watch out for is not to double scoop or you don't need, for example, a protein bar and a protein shake after you finish training if you are supplementing. Um, of course, there's other types of um, protein sources. You don't have to be meat-based. You know, you can go down the dairy route of like yogurts. And that's, I think, usually typically speaking, around 150 grams of Greek yogurt will give you around 20 grams of protein and there'll be some good quality fats in there as well. Or for the vegans and vegetarians, your tofus and your tempers, which are kind of, uh, you know, your soy-based proteins and your pea-based proteins um, that you could look towards having after um, exercise. And then, of course, then coupling that up with some form of carbohydrate. So like you said, pasta, rice, you know, potatoes, whatever it might be that you enjoy most, you know, we can couple it up with that. I think one thing that's often lost when it comes to nutrition especially when it comes to meals is we're kind of still setting our way sometimes of if we make it really simple, it, you, we can't fail. But I always say overcomplicate the recipes and the nutrition in a good way and in a positive way, because quite often or not, it's boring if we're just having a chicken breast, you know, a cup of rice and a handful of broccoli. Mm. Like why not make that into, you know, a chicken, you know, chicken risotto or a chicken pasta bake and throw different sauces and flavors and spices in there. And I think quite often people think if you want good nutrition, it has to be boring. It yeah. Has simple, which mm-hmm. isn't true at all. You know, I've, you know, I've, I've experimented with many different recipes and not just for main meals, but for breakfasts as well. You know, it doesn't have to be cereal or a bowl of oats. You know, you can make baked oats, you can make pizza pockets, you can, you do all sorts in terms of recipe wise and they're all out there. And I think the beauty of it is a lot of recipes are already out there and they're free, they're online. You know, if you typed in healthy recipe ideas, it'll come up with, um, you know, a million different hits on um, recipes. You could have pre and post game meals. I know we offer some um, at my company, um, from, we're going to release, I think it was a recipe book of 12, um, like free recipes for athletes to use as like a cookbook guide. Um, mm-hmm. Should be coming nice. out this week, I think. Plug. Um, so if you can head over to the Instagram, it's somewhere on there. Whenever this podcast goes live, I'm sure it'll be up there um, by then. But yeah, so essentially, you know, just giving people the ideas and the athletes ideas on what they can eat because people are stuck in the way of having just, you know, meat, um, a carb sauce, and then some sort of veg on the side. Uh, but I think, yeah, after exercise, when you're looking at recovery, we want to replenish our fuel. So we want to replenish those carbs. We want to make sure that we repair. So we want to make sure that we have that protein. But then another one that's often missed is rehydrating. So yeah. it's important because we sweat a lot during exercise that we don't just continue with our usual hydration when we finished exercise because that won't be enough when it comes to actually, um, you know, rehydrating. We need to make sure that we're following a bit of a rehydration protocol. Now, that's something that you can't, can and can't quantify into um, you know everybody, but if we were going to give it a number or a label for everybody to kind of follow, I'd say at least one and a half litres over the next two hours after exercise to ensure that we're rehydrated. Um, so one thing I always think is you know the best measure for rehydration is unfortunately taking a look in the toilet after you've weed and see what colour your you know your weed is. <laughs> if it's 
if it's if it's a nice pale color, you know that you're hydrated. You know you you can just continue drinking as normal. However, the darker it is, the more hydration we need to go down. And I know that's probably not the most glamorous side of a nutritionist role. I've certainly had to look at players' pee before and check if they're hydrated or not. But it's one of those things where you know it's the easiest way, and it's a little scientific test you can almost do in yourself every day to work out whether you're hydrated or not. So after exercise, you know, make sure that. We- do hydrate and like I say around a litre and a half over the next two hours which seems a lot but if you broke it down into 750 mil um you know every, every hour um a little and often sips will achieve that quite um quite easily definitely because I've been mm. going out with athletes over the last 10-15 years and they'll go to like a restaurant with me and they'll like physically like scrape off the sauce from like a chicken because they're like no it's got too many calories on and stuff I'm like I can't like you can't be doing this like you got to enjoy what you got to do at the end of the day because that's what i wanted to learn more about as well with the athletes that you're working with not just do they enjoy the nutritionist side of things from how it is compared to when it was like 10 15 years ago they weren't athletes then but it was a, a lot there's a lot of stigmas around it 10 15 years in nutrition just in general and in, in football and sport and society anyway but how, how can you make this more appealing in terms of just for the everyday person dan because realistically speaking um, nutrition for athletes is fantastic. It's got a lot of uh, really good ways of moving forward and it has done. But the way I see it and how you've been speaking, which has been really good and really eloquent as well, how I've been listening to you for the rest of the podcast, has been fantastic. But if you wanted to then just go, because I know you, I, wait, you go to schools, don't you as well, Dan? Yeah. yeah. So how, how, how do you do it from that point of view? Because that will make it a bit easier for yourself as well. Because you're going to schools, yeah. um, not everyone will be an athlete kind of there, but how do you kind of, influence um like a classroom of 30 children when you're actually going into schools as well so i think first first and foremost i think the you know the scope of sports nutrition is changing um slowly getting there i think um quite often it is seeing that uh you know the the nutritionist at a club is still considered kind of the uh the, the evil one that reduces the food intake and stops all the fun sunday dinners going on and pizzas in the changing rooms yeah but i think you know there's certainly a place for nutrition when it comes to non-athletic people um, or people that are just, I always call them weekend athletes, the guys that go and do maybe a park run on a weekend or, you know, they go to the gym maybe five days a week after work. And there's certainly things you can do to optimize your nutrition from that sense. And that's more of a, from a health perspective. Um, So I think the most important thing I say when I go to schools, especially, so I speak a lot with schools around nutrition education um, and health-based nutrition and then link it to school sport as well. So, of course, the actual um, information that's given to, you know, school-level athletes is much less than what it is to the guys that are, you know, taking part in pro sport and, you know, trying to watch them, what they eat, et cetera, and things like that. But I think a couple of top tips that people can take away from today um, is listen to your body. So, you know, if you're hungry and you're exercising regularly, eat. And if you, if you feel full, then perfect. You know, I think there's no nothing worse than starving yourself um, for the sake of starving yourself, you know, that you're making sure that we're eating the right kind of food when it comes to exercise and performance and when it comes to going to the gym to fuel the workout. But if you're hungry after the workout and you need a little bit of extra food, it's making sure that we, you know, we don't gravitate towards the snack and the biscuit draw. We go towards the fruit to begin with and we make sure that we have the fruit or we have the veggies or we have a good solid meal. So quite often, a lot of the people I work with on a health basis, it's it tends to be around the fact that, um, you know, what will be happening is they'll be getting home from the gym, they'll be starving, they'll need some sort of food, 
instead of cooking up, you know, the spaghetti bolognese that they plan to cook this evening, they either order online because it's easier and it, it comes quicker, or they will go straight for the cupboard or the fridge and they'll grab out that trifle or whatever it is and just binge on that. So I think one of the biggest tips is listen to your body and ensure that you're fueling it correctly. So, you know, if you know that every night your biggest hurdle is getting home from the gym, tired after work, and you need some form of fuel or food to refuel, then cook it the night before or cook it at the weekend and batch cook all the meals, have your Tupperwares all set out in the fridge, ready to go so you know that you've not got any problems when it comes to getting home from work and you can't be bothered cooking. Um, and I think, you know, another thing that I think watching out for is your fruit and veg intake. Um, so again, working with um, health-based nu- nutrition people that I work with, like your general population, fruit and veg intake tends to be quite low. So although you might have those couple of pieces of fruit a day, there's other ways that we can get our fruit and veg in, such as, you know, if we're making a spaghetti bolognese, throw a full onion and a full pepper in there um, and a bit of grated carrot, you know, get all those different flavors um, and eat in a variety of colors. Um, so the reason why we want to eat in a variety of colors for health is that it provides us with all the different nutrients that we need um, to keep our immune system strong um, and keep our body supported, um, you know, when it comes to just general life. Um, and it'll help us, you know, stay free from illness. And then if we are going to the gym, it'll help us stay free from injury as well. Um, so I think, you know, eating in full colour um, is probably one of the biggest tips you'll ever hear from a nutritionist when it comes to health nutrition. And I think that side of it is all it's about is putting different types of fruit and veggies into each meal um, and not just relying on your five pieces of fruit a day, actually getting different colours into each meal and making sure we're not just eating the same um, coloured vegetables or coloured fruit. Every or day. add in food uh, colouring as well. We don't want to add yeah, food colouring yeah. into it for the sake of it. Yeah, food colouring doesn't count. Yeah. Definitely doesn't. <laughs> and fries don't count as well. But even though they are potatoes, they don't actually count as a place <laughs> They don't, do they? If you're having fried fried potatoes. No, so, so, yeah, so I think what a, a big misconception in the health um, industry for nutrition is that sweet potatoes are, you know, this like superior um it's a it's a hybrid Super between veg. a veg. Yeah. yeah, it's a hybrid between a potato and a veg, where in actual fact. It's just slightly different in colour. It has the same macronutrient makeup. It's just got a little bit more nutrients and it's a little bit more nutrient dense than a white potato. White potatoes are brilliant. You know, they're great for um, performance because you're going to get loads of carbs out of them and they're slow release carbs, which means that you're going to be able to utilise them across the day. Where the uh, complications lie and the issues come in is when they're triple deep fried and they're covered in, um, you know, goose fat or whatever it might be. That's where they unhealthiness of that of that meal comes in whereas you know making some sort of wedges out of potatoes um whether that be a white sweet whatever potato that you're going for um it's still going to provide you with some nutrients and it's still going to provide you with those carbohydrates uh, but i think that's one of the biggest things is people demonize certain foods but it's sometimes it's just the way that it's cooked you know fried oh. chicken is fine as long as you're not deep frying it and you shallow pan frying it for example or oven cooking it mm. So tell me about sweet potato. Is it healthier or not? Because I've been eating sweet potato for years. Yeah, yeah so um, health, healthy is such a hard thing to quantify, I think. But it certainly has more micronutrients um, in comparison to white potatoes, but it's macronutrient makeup. The macronutrients are your fats, carbs, and proteins in each food. Your micronutrients are all your different vitamins and minerals. So like your, um, you know, your vitamins A to Z and then like your calciums, et cetera, and all that magnesium zincs irons that you find within your foods um so actually because sweet potatoes are you know bright orange they're higher in different types of macronutrients but the carbohydrate content of a sweet potato and a white potato are exactly the same so it depends what you're looking towards having a sweet potato for if you're classing that 
as one of your veggies each day, then certainly I'd say you'd want to be going towards that sweet potato because you'll get more micronutrients out of it. Whereas mm-hmm. if you're looking at it purely on a performance basis for sport and for exercise and you're saying, right, I'm going to have this potato because I'm going to get loads of energy out of it, then it doesn't matter which potato you go for. Okay, cool. Still love my sweet potato then. <laughs> so yeah, if, you, if you're eating sweet potatoes, then you know it's a bonus. But for some people who don't like sweet potatoes, it doesn't mean they can't have normal potatoes as well at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Just following on from that, you said about veggies and you said about fruit. I've heard so much in the past, definitely in the past two years, about a plant-based diet. I've been dying to ask this throughout the whole podcast. So <laughs> Save the best what? till last because we've spoken yeah. about this a whole a couple episodes ago. So I'm looking forward to finishing off the podcast like this, Millie. Let's go. So basically, I kind of changed my diet two years ago, three years ago now, to a 90% plant-based diet because like probably 90% of athletes, they watch this one documentary. It wasn't solely because of that. <laughs> Yep. You know, I did a little bit of research and to be honest, I did, whether it was mentally or whether it was actually physically, I did feel better after it. So what is, what's the deal with that? Is that the best, best yeah, way so, forward? So as we say, that one documentary, um, I remember I was just going into working in full-time sport at the time and everybody had watched that documentary in the off season and every, I'd not watched it. <laughs> so everybody <laughs> came back with all these preconceived ideas and I had to go yeah. away and watch it and do my research. So the, the thing is, and I think the, the hardest thing to say is to put everybody on a, a plant-based diet would be near impossible because people, you know, are naturally meat eaters if they've had it for the last 20, 30 years. It's difficult to switch somebody's um, nutrition up. Whereas when I'm looking at the research now, the research isn't necessarily saying we should, but it's suggesting we should start to look towards more plant-based alternatives when it comes to uh, fueling the body. Where the mm-hmm. problem lies is the educational side at the moment because it's so new. What happens is people often end up in a somewhat calorie deficit without even realizing um, because, you know, veggies are much lower in macronutrients, in carbs, fats and proteins and higher in micronutrients, which haven't got any calorie value to them. So actually, we ended up having to eat more volume of food if we're taking part in a vegan or vegetarian diet, um, as opposed to what we would do if we weren't. Um, So I think where the problem and the issues lie at the moment is the education side plant-based diets and you know a standard carnivore diet um, will provide the same results when it comes to sport at the moment in terms of health benefits i think there is a little bit more health benefits towards the side of a veggie diet and the reason for that is because you're almost force fed into eating more micronutrients which are going to support the body and the immune system however Mm -hmm. i think on the flip side if we're not well educated enough and we're not you know, hitting our protein intake, which can be tough. You know, you probably find that it's hard to hit your protein intake if you especially go vegan and you're not even having dairy products. Yeah. Um, if we're uneducated on that side of things and we miss out on our protein intake, that's going to reduce our performance and vice versa. If we're not, you know, meeting our energy and matching our energy demands with our energy intake, um, which can be tough, especially when, like I say, a lot of the vegetarian and veggie foods are lower in calorie. Um, and lowering calories at total, it means that, you know, we're going to struggle to actually hit um, our intake for the day, which again will subsequently affect our performance. But I think there's certainly, you know, a lot of research that's coming out way over my um, my position, I think, and, I, you know, reading it, I, even I'm interested and in, similar to you guys, really kind of following this journey of, you know, Game Changers came out as a, mm-hmm. uh, as a, as a you know, a standalone documentary. But off the back of that, they've actually supported it with some good research. Um, and there is a lot of research going on in the background at the moment that 
you know, when published, will probably shed a little bit more light on the topic and the situation, good and bad. Um, but I think we'll never kind of abolish and get rid of the, um, you know, the carnivore diet and meat eating. I think that'll always still play a part in people's performance because they've done it for so long. But I think, yeah, certainly you're right that, you know, like you said yourself, you switch to a, like a 90% um, ratio of, you know, meat into not, or of way around, sorry. And, you know, you might have found, you know, people have found more mental clarity, um, you know, feeling a little bit lighter because they're eating foods that are easier to digest. Fibre tends to be increased, meaning that, you know, our digestive system flows and works a little bit quicker and better. Um, you know, there's a bunch of different benefits, but don't get me wrong, there's also benefits to the other side. So I think at the moment it's too early to say that, you know, going down the route of eating like a vegetarian is the best way to go. I think it's going to take a few more years of research to really be able to kind of point the finger at vegetarian diets. But the research is certainly starting to shift that way that that's where, um, you know, I think sport will end up going eventually. Um, but again, I could be wrong. The research could come out that, um, you know, that, it, that isn't the best way forward. So it's all about looking at the research and keeping up to date with it. And I'm sure on my Instagram and across my socials, whenever anything comes out like that, I'm always reposting it and giving a bit of an opinion on the research that's come out. So I think, you know, it's just about following the right people and making sure you get the right information in um, to ensure that you know what, you know, what's best. You'll, yeah, be promoting, you'll be promoting KFC as well. KFC is good. That's the one for me. That's all good. Um, but no, just before we wrap up the podcast, we've got a couple of quick five questions uh, for you, Dan, as well. Yeah. Uh, first things first, Millie is in pre-season at the moment as well. And then she's back to football in August, September time. So do you reckon you could uh, have her as one of your pro athletes if, if <laughs> Millie needed a nutritionist? Oh, Millie, what, what, Millie, what do you think about that? Definitely, 100%. It was in my mind. <laughs> yeah, give us a shout if you need a hand with your nutrition and I'm sure we can sort you out and help you out for ready for pre-season and uh, the season ahead. Definitely, will do, 100%. See, I, I got it in there. I plugged it for Mindy. <laughs> Thank start. you, mate. <laughs> uh, anytime, anytime. Uh, but no, basically, just before we wrap up the podcast and before we let you promote whatever you wanted to promote, Dan, um, could you just name three really good foods to eat and three really uh, bad foods to eat as well. Just so anyone listening, after listening to our podcast, which has been an hour long, they can actually gain something in terms of if they want to go to Audi later on today, what would be better for them to buy that they may not have been buying already or what they've been buying already may not be good enough um, for them as an athlete, as a weekend athlete, that yeah. type of thing as well. So your top three uh, best things to buy um, from a supermarket. Yeah, so top three. We'll split it up a little bit. We'll yeah. take one from each, ma each macronutrient. Um, so we'll take one from fats one's from carbs and one from uh, protein sources Perfect. I think any any lean meats from protein sources top thing to eat so if you are a meat eater turkey breast turkey steaks chicken chicken mince um, not necessarily staying away from the red meat but they tend to have a little bit more um, higher saturated fats which we might want to avoid so I'd say any kind of white meats um, would be really good um, I'd say avocados or oils um, or nuts for a good source of fats so if we're looking to get some good quality sources of fats we want to be going towards them um, and then the last one is we said carbs, didn't we? Um, we'll 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 uh, we'll we'll back Millie here and we'll say sweet potatoes. Really good sauce. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I think on the other side, three bad foods, or I don't like to say bad foods, um, fun foods that you should eat yeah. a little bit less often. Um, I think your chocolates and sweets, as they don't necessarily add too much to our overall nutrition. Fried foods uh, because they tend to be higher in fats, such as killed me there. <laughs> so just KFC um, and then I'd probably say um, meals that are high in fats as well um, so we're not looking at that from a performance perspective 
things like high fat milks could end up adding, you know, additional unnecessary calories to an overall person's um, nutrition. Is that more because it's quite silent as well? Like you don't, a lot of people don't really focus on that in terms of like they could get like almond milk or uh, semi-skim milk or, as opposed yeah. to full fat milk as well. They'll just yeah, pour it in without thinking really. Is that yeah, kind of the way? Yeah, it's that kind of, um, you know, eating subconsciously and, you know, consuming stuff that, you know, mindless eating as I like to call it is like, you know, yeah. Um, if you were to have, you know, if you were to make those small changes, it's not going to be noticeable on your, you know, if you were to knock chocolate on the head, that's going to be noticeable. But if you were to buy semi-skim milk instead of whole milk, um, or, you know, instead of gold top milk, you know, the really thick creamy milk mm. in comparison to semi-skim milk, you're not going to notice the difference marginally, but it's going to have a huge impact on your overall health and nutrition. Brilliant. I told my wife that before we go shopping <laughs> next week as well. She hates semi-skim. I'm like, nope, we're getting it going to work throughout the summer as well which is good stuff um uh but Millie any closing messages before we uh let Dan close off the episode yeah I've got two questions I have to get in oh, I'm really sorry don't worry sorry <laughs> I've got three non-negotiable habits what are they well for nutrition yeah never under so never under eat always get yourself in the kitchen and cook for yourself um don't order food you know at least you know where the sources are coming from um, and final one is overhydrate, over dehydration. So I'd rather an athlete of mine be going to the toilet more frequently um, and have that slightly little bit more um, hydration in them than be dehydrated and have all the negative effects of hydration. Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Um, last little thing, I have to get it in. And for any anyone listening who's a bit of a nerd like I am, I saw on one of your Instagram posts right at the end, a hiking one, I think it was, you put in pink Himalayan salt. Now yep. I know there's so many things like pink Himalayan salt, ginger, like lion's mane mushrooms. What are these things? Just really quickly to sum it all up, what are they and what can they do for us and what's the best one to eat? Um, so things like that are just little performance hacks that you can use. So for example, if you're going on a hike, the reason I put pink Himalayan salt in there is it's going to help with your sodium levels. So it's going to make sure that we don't cramp up when we're taking part in hikes. So adding that to our um, our drinks bottle, along with maybe some juice, because you don't want to be tasting salty water. So some juice with pink Himalayan salt in there. Um, things like that are going to stop us from cramping up, for example. Um, yeah. Ginger shots, you know, they're, they're like a natural uh, a natural kind of energy boost in the morning. I don't know if you ever had one of those little ginger shots, for example. I had one before, yeah. <laughs> proper give you a kick and it's, it's yeah. you're having to have the caffeine but not only that it gives you a bunch of other benefits such as you know it helps boost your immune system um it helps support and keep you free from injury and illness and it also helps get different type of micronutrients and vitamins and minerals into the body and there's other things such as like beetroot juice um, um the nitrates in beetroot juice has been found to um really um help with performance so you've probably seen in sport those beat it shots that there are they're yeah. there because what they do is essentially nitrate helps to open up the blood vessels um, and helps us to um, actually get more blood to the muscles, meaning we're able to perform at a better rate. Um, so it's the little things like that that, you like you say, for the geeks out there that are listening and interested yeah. in the, the deeper science of sports nutrition, there's a, a, probably a million different ones we could talk about. We could do a full episode on, you know, yeah. individual things that are uh, that are related around that but I think yeah essentially the little things like your pink Himalayan salts and your shots and things like that all basically constitute towards giving it that extra one percent when it comes to sport so I make the analogy when I go into clubs is that if everybody was to have a ginger shot in the morning and that was to give you a one percent boost in performance and there's 11 players on the pitch that's 11 percent more than what the opposition's got 
Um, so especially when it comes to performance nutrition, if you can maybe find five, you know, little things like that that are going to improve your performance overall, that's 5% better than you are against an opposition uh, player. So that's probably where, you know, like you said, you've seen that. Um, and like the same as, you know, if you're taking part in a pre-season that's in a hot climate, you know, having mm-hmm. something like Malayan salt in your drink is going to stop you from cramping up, especially if you're sweating a lot and you're doing a long session in a warm environment. Nice. That's brilliant. Love that. Absolutely love it. But I'll hold you to that episode, a full episode on it. <laughs> yeah, don't you worry. We'll wrap one up. <laughs> nice. I mean, Dan just took the words out of my mouth there. I think you did as well, mate. The fact that we need a part two episode to this as well, Dan. It's been <laughs> absolutely fascinating. It's been fantastic to hear your thoughts on it as well, Millie, as well. Because again, from a performance point of view, that's what we're learning. And also from a layman's point of view, KFC clearly is bad. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in the best of shapes to... To, to comment on if it's good or not as well. But no, Dan, just before we let you wrap up the podcast as well and promote whatever you need to promote as well, I just wanted to say thank you very much for your time today. I want to say thank you very much for your honesty in what you were talking about and, and also the fact that you went back on yourself quite a few times and made it a lot more uh, approachable um, for nutritionists and for non-nutritionists as well. So people who are looking at getting healthier over the summer coming up, if they're looking at learning different um different ways of eating their food or buying their foods i thought it was fantastic to hear uh, your point of view on that as well um i do want you back for another episode i'm pretty sure millie will be will be very happy but next time when you come back bring one of your athletes because i want to hear it from their points of view maybe the american <laughs> footballer or one of the hockey players yeah. that you've worked with a rugby player perhaps because i'd like to hear more from their side in terms of how they've been influenced a lot by you because that would be a really good part two to what we've learned from yeah, you yeah, yourself and- yeah no we can make that happen definitely and then hopefully in like six months' time, Millie's looking like Superwoman on the pitch. <laughs> which would be good well. um, but no, Dan, if you just wanted to like promote whatever you wanted to promote before we wrap up the podcast, the floor is yours. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, didn't really have anything planned in terms of promoting, but, um, you know, socials, um, if you want to go find me, it's at DRN Nutrition um, on Instagram. It's DRN Nutri on Twitter because somebody stole DRN Nutrition before I got to it. Um, okay. And then the website, which is, currently under a bit of a revamp for this summer. So we're going to be adding a member's site onto the website, um, which will allow all athletes to go on there and have access to one-to-one content from me and also infographics, recipe books, etc. We're also going to put a bunch of free stuff out there as well. So keep an eye on the website. And that's literally just www.drnnutrition.co.uk. Um, and you can find all of our links on there. Um, you can you know get in touch if you want to do a one-to-one uh, consultation. And then obviously once this membership site launches, you'll be able to access that and um, utilise all the different materials that are on there. It was quite an embarrassing one-to-one we just had before as well. So I'm just like, can't be having fried food, can't be having this, can't be having that. I'm like, <laughs> hopefully I'll be looking good at the end of the summer. But thank you very much um, for your time, Dan. Thank you very much, Millie, again, for your time as well. Everyone, be sure to share um, the podcast coming out as well. We've got a lot coming up for you this summer going forward as well. Follow Dan on social media. We'll leave the descriptions in the link below as well. Enjoy the summer. Dan, thank you very much for your time. Right, Millie, I had a great time absolutely being battered for having fried food and not eating the best that I possibly can. But you know what? It was great to have Dan on the podcast. He was a fantastic guest. And I really enjoyed learning more about nutrition from a nutritionist point of view, not just from someone from TV or from YouTube or from um, social media. I know we have him on social media, but it was great to learn it, uh, learn more from the horse's mouth. So what did you really enjoy most about that episode? And I, I love that question about the non-negotiables as well. So nicely done there, Millie. Yeah, no, honestly, I loved that episode. I think it's right up my street. And I think it's so important as well that nutrition is a number one thing in not only an athlete's life, 
but all of our lives as well. And he's basically just told us all that, um, that it is that important for us. I, I enjoyed everything. I enjoyed every single minute of it. And I was dying to ask him loads more. I'm glad I got that um, the Himalayan salt in at the end. I love things like that. The, the little performance hacks, as he called it. And I found that brilliant because it's true. You have these little things like the beetroot, the ginger, even turmeric, things like that. And it just kind of, like he said, amplifies your performance by 1%. So as an athlete, why not get that 1%? Do you know what I mean? I found that brilliant, honestly. Yeah, I've always talked about the 1% on this podcast and on Friday Night Counts, like about even whatever you're doing in life, if you can make yourself 1% better at it, why not go for it? And why not look at improving yourself in that way as well, which would be good yeah. fun. But I'm really glad that hopefully you'll be get to you'll get to work with him this summer and you'll be able yeah. to uh, deal with a nutritionist from your point of view as well. Because the fact that he said that he deals with athletes from different sports completely makes it a lot more easier for him to find someone that can... To find, your, to find yourself in the best way possible from a nutritional point of view. And I'm really glad that hopefully we'll be getting it back on the podcast later on in the year as well, maybe with one of his athletes that he does work with currently, how they work and what they can kind of do to improve themselves from a nutritionist point of view and from a mentality point of view as well, which will be good fun. Definitely. I think, it's, I think it'll be really great to have him back on. And honestly, like from my perspective of me playing football remember when I asked him that question about what's the optimal diet for athletes and he said well there's loads of different kinds of athletes in my eyes I was thinking football obviously and I didn't really think about all like the cricketers the rugby players even like dancers people like that and it's so like I guess there's so much that goes on and goes into it behind the scenes because it is so important for each of us to kind of get it right really what do you think no 100% because we all want to do our best at the end of the day but it's just the fact that when you've got someone in there in your life like a nutritionist as well it's the fact that he can re reconfirm things that oh if you want a chocolate bar have a chocolate bar there's no point in me trying to stop you if you want to have something try something it'll be good there's no point in having bland chicken if that's not what you like but you want to have sauce on your chicken then go for it but it's just the fact that you're having it in moderation as well like you said the 80 20 rule as well which works really well for everyone Definitely. I think, I guess it's necessary to have someone like that in your life, even if you're not an athlete, it's necessary to kind of, even if it's just someone you touch base with every month or so, every two months, every six months, I guess it's necessary to have someone to just kind of, like I said, touch base with and check that everything's going on properly. So we kind of want really a bit of re- reconfirmation on what we're doing is right, what we could do to develop ourselves better and realistically understand a bit more of what we're kind of putting in our bodies at the end of the day as well definitely um, but no everyone thank you very much for listening Millie where can everyone find us on social media where can they find us on our platform uh, for podcasts as well and what do you expect from um, the summer coming ahead as well Millie so free little uh, yeah I mean go and find us on Spotify we are the Beautiful Mind Game podcast and you know what this summer is going to be insane we've been saying it on every single podcast I think but honestly it's going to be great we've got so many people lined up to come on our podcast so keep keep following us um friday night counterattack on instagram and on spotify and on youtube as well let's put that one in youtube will be fun i can't wait to put all these youtube videos together as well because what i'm looking at doing this summer as well is putting a lot of them as full episodes as well because there's no point in trying to cut them all up and i really like the fact that we've done some of that already and it'll be great fun to learn a lot more about how no two people are exactly the same in terms of athletes, in terms of uh, nutritionists, uh, in terms of what we can learn going forward. We're not going to spoil who we've got, 
coming forward as well. We've got some great guests yeah. already recorded. We've got some great guests coming up. And I'm looking forward to seeing how everyone reacts to it as well. Because it's not just one person from one area of sport or from business, whatever it is. There'll be lots of different people, lots of different stories with lots of different backgrounds to go through as well. And we're going to be going through all of them. That's going to be fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be good fun. I'm looking forward to it. I know me and you are both excited. And if you are listening to this and you do like our episodes, go and like it and go and share it with someone else who might like it as well. You never know. Just get the word around and there'll be someone out there, hopefully. We hope. Definitely. There's always someone that can learn something from our podcast. (laughs) That's what we we pride ourselves on at the end of the day, which is good fun. Uh, but Millie, really, thank you very much for your time. As always, it's a pleasure to speak to you and to see you as well on the podcast. Uh, everyone, thank you very much for listening. Thanks for supporting us um, going forward as well. This summer, we're going to be doing a lot more um, that you will be more relating to as well. And that's what we're here for. That's kind of what I'm here, here for as well, to learn a lot more from different people, different environments and different backgrounds as well. Because again, we're looking for the extraordinary story from an ordinary person because no two stories are the same. Mm-hmm. That's me being cheesy, but we got it. Brilliant, up. loved it. <laughs> uh, we always talk about the extraordinary and the ordinary, so it is what it is, isn't it? Which nice. is good. Everyone, thank you very much for listening to us. Mostly just ramble at the end of the episode, which is good fun. Give like uh, Dan a follow on social media as well, because he deserves it. He's done really good stuff, and only more things are going to come for him as well, which will be good. Take care, and goodbye. <laughs>